and welcome to the ABA podcast. We're your hosts, Andrea and Alejandra Alvarado. In today's exciting installment, we'll be talking about the 1960 movie Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Make sure to tune in for another exciting episode. Let's get into it. All right, so the movie starts in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's like they go into this hotel room, and uh, there's this lady named Marion, and she's, I would, she's with, she's with this guy named Sam, who at first we thought she was like his mistress or something, but turns out, no, he's divorced, uh, but, you know, divorce was really taboo, I guess, back then, so they keep it secret, you know, and she's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to go, I got to leave or whatever. So she leaves and she goes to her boss, her job, I mean, where she meets her boss, Mr. Lowry, who um, is kind of okay, I guess. Like, we don't know much about him. We know he has a, he gets acid reflux and we know that he has an alcohol stash. Uh, but that's about it. She talks to the front desk lady, whose name I don't remember. I don't even know if they give her a name, but front desk lady. Uh, and they kind of talk about their day and their friends. You know, they're very friendly towards one another, she and Marion. Um, and then Mr. Cassidy comes in. Uh, and Mr. Cassidy is this really old guy. And he's talking about how his daughter's going to get married. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I have all this money. I have 40000 for my baby's wedding or something i think um and so he flirts with her which is like absolutely disgusting and i hate it uh so she tells her boss hey i have a headache i'm gonna head out i'm gonna go home right and uh she steals the forty thousand dollars and that is where the real story begins now marion decides i'm not going to take this money to the bank like i told my boss i would Instead, I'm going to steal it. I am going to run away and pack my suitcase. She packs her suitcase, gets in her car. She starts driving away from Phoenix, getting out of town as soon as possible. But who does she run into? None other than Mr. Cassidy and Mr. Lowry. They stare at each other for a moment, and there's an uneasy silence. The music turns up, and you can feel how tense this moment is. So, Marion gets out of town. She's driving, and then it starts raining. It gets dark, and she decides, hey, I'm going to pull over. I'm too tired. So, she pulls over. She sleeps. She falls asleep. She doesn't want to get into an accident. So she, you know, pulls over and decides to stay there for the night instead of getting a motel. In the morning, she's awoken by taps on her door, on her car window. So it's the police. It's this police officer, and he's like, hey, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. Are you okay? Is everything all right? You're acting kind of shady. And 
she's like, oh, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine, it's cool, it's all good. Um, and she has the $40,000 hidden away in her purse. So, the officer is not convinced, but allows her to go. So, she thinks everything's all good, and she decides to go to a used car dealership and switch her car out for another one so that she wouldn't be suspected and it would be harder to track. So she pays she pays the car guy $700 cash. Now, keep in mind that this is a lot of money for that time. So I'm estimating it would probably be around $50 maybe. I think it's more than that. Well, it, the main point is, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of, money. of money. And so he's shocked. You know, this lady this lady just pulled out $700 cash and just handed it to him like it was nothing. And so he's like, there's something up with her. And uh, while all this is happening, um, I should point out that the policeman has followed her. And he's on the other side of the road. And when he sees that she is going to get into her new car, which has California license plates, because she's in Gorman, California, which seems to be, like, just outside of Bakersfield. Um, he drives into the lot, and he opens the door, and he's like, hey, you know, he confronts her, he walks towards her, and she freaks out. She freaks out, and she gets in her car, and she's like, I'm in a hurry. Please, like, I'm just, I'm going to get out of here, you know? And then she hears this person go, hey! And it's this man, and he's carrying her bags, her uh, suitcase, and stuff. She's forgotten them in her car. And he's, she's like, uh, just put them in the back. Just put them in the back. I'm going to leave. And as soon as the door closes, she's out of there. Um, so, and then as she's driving, you hear a voiceover. And it's, at first, it's the owner of the car dealership talking to the policeman, and he goes, oh, officer, it's the first time, you know, someone has just been so upfront about the money. Like, he was utterly shocked that she had $700 cash. Um, and he, uh, he said that she was, like, panicky, which is something that the policeman had noted earlier on, and is the whole reason why he was like, is there something wrong? Because she was very, she seemed very paranoid during her drive over. Well, you would be if you had stolen $40,000. Now, she continues to drive, and then again, it starts to rain. And as she drives, you hear yet another voiceover. But this time, it is the voice of Mr. Cassidy and Mr. Lowry. And they're talking, and they're like, oh, she stole $40,000. I can't believe she would have done this. I trusted her, you know. And then Mr. Cassidy says something disturbing. Something along the lines, now this is not a direct quote, but something along the lines of, oh, if I find any of it missing, she'll pay for it with her soft, fine flesh or something, which... Creepy. Creepy. Uh, now... At first, I thought, is he threatening violence? Is he threatening violence? Is he threatening to hit her? I don't know. 
But then I thought about when he was flirting with her at the beginning, and I thought there was a second option. A disgusting option of, oh, she'll owe me. So she'll have to be with me to pay me back. Which is, ugh, it's utterly, it's it's atrocious, it's disgusting, and it uh, it was just something that kind of stuck with me. Um, for the for the remainder of the movie, um, anyway, so she's driving in the rain, and all of a sudden she finds a motel, and she gets out of her car, and she looks inside, and she sees a huge house in the distance, and she sees like a a woman silhouette in the house, um. And then she comes to the hotel, and there's a little sign, and it says Bates Motel. And at the bottom, there's one of those vacancy or no vacancy sign, and it says vacancy. Um, and then a man steps out of the house, and he's like, oh, hello. Like, <laughs> I didn't, sorry, I'll, I'll be with you in a moment something along those lines and he's he's very kind and very welcoming and um very awkward yes he's very very awkward um you get the sense that he hasn't had many customers in a while yeah so he invites her in and he's she signs her name in the little um what do you call it the little guest guest sign in sheet but she doesn't use her real name, Marion. She uses a fake name that she made up all by herself. Marie Samuels. Now, you may be asking yourself, hey, why doesn't she just use her name? She's on the run. She stole stuff. So, I mean... Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't use your real name if you're, you know wanted or if people are looking for you you know the police and things uh but she so she signs herself in and he he's like okay yeah and he turns to this wall this tiny little little wall uh, like a little thing for the keys and you see him searching for the correct key to give her and his hand stops on number one and he picks up the key for cabin one and he hands it to her and he says oh yeah and it's closer to the office just in case you want anything and then he invites her for dinner he says oh yeah i'm i'm gonna make some food i'm making sandwiches and i i would love i would love if you came and ate with me you know this is um this is in cabin one while she's kind of getting Getting her stuff all situated. situated she's know. a little bit freaked out. But she's like, okay, you know, yeah. nice young man inviting me to dinner. All right. Um, and he opened the windows because it was stuffy. Or the window. It was only one window. Uh, so he opened the window because it was, like, stuffy in there. And from the window, she can hear yelling at the house he's gone back to the house and his mother 
apparently is yelling at him and she's saying horrible horrible things to him and it's it's awful really um and she she's just kind of saddened to hear you know the way that his mother talks to him uh so they have dinner and they talk about norman which is the young man they talk about norman's mother and he says my mother's ill he says my mother is ill um and she's like mentally ill and he's like just ill you know he doesn't specify what type of illness she has um but he he's talking about her and he's like she needs me she needs me i had a happy childhood in that house and she needs me you know i can't leave her sometimes i wish i could curse her and get away from her because she needs me um and uh marion marion suggests why don't you put her in an institution and he's like in a madhouse put my mother my own mother in a madhouse do you know what it's like the screaming and the and the laughing and it's and it sounds like he knows what the inside of an institution is like would you like to elaborate on that so he you get the sense that he's done that that's a thing that's happened to him before he's been committed or put in there uh at some point in his life something that clearly bothers him it stuck with him and it really impacted him so badly that at the mere mention of an institution his entire demeanor changes he goes from the quiet shy awkward reserved man to someone who's very attacked this is a very personal thing for him he becomes sort of a whole new person he's angry and he's he's um offended he's offended that she would even suggest this that she would even he would even that you know that was even suggesting um and so it's really interesting to see how um norman bates that's his name uh how the motel owner norman bates can sort of change his personality on a dime um here's a quote that i found pretty interesting from the movie and it really ties in it tells you what norman's relationship is with his mother he says well a boy's best friend is his mother which is it's unsettling to tell you the truth like everyone um you know you would hope that someone has a good relationship with their mother but his relationship with his mother is not a good one and yet he's dependent on her you're yeah, we're talking about a late 20s, early 30-year-old man whose mother is verbally abusive, who's probably lived with his mother for most of his life. And as he said, he doesn't get out much. He doesn't have any friends. So he's become codependent on her. And even though that's not a good thing he can't seem to understand that his relationship is not normal um 
Here's something that I think I should add. It's just something I found interesting. So Norman Bates' hobby is taxidermy, though he says it's more than a hobby because he uses it to fill time rather than pass time. But he stuffs birds. Now, this is important. It's important to note that Marion's last name, we discover in the scene, her last name is Crane. And cranes are birds. Um, and it's really interesting because Norman stuffs birds. So it's a little bit of foreshadowing telling you something bad is going to happen to this woman. Um, another thing to note is that throughout the entire room, there are taxidermied, uh, owls and some sort of falcon. Or like a pheasant or something. There's just, like, a bunch of taxidermy birds in there. Yes. Uh, so, Marion heads out. Marion goes back to her room, and she goes to take a shower. Which is where we discover something awful about Norman. So, behind this painting in the, in the office... There's a wall there's a wall with a painting and he pushes it back and there's a hole. And that hole leads directly into the bathroom of cabin one. And he looks in on Marion as she's getting ready to shower. And it's it's shocking because the first time that you meet Norman, you think, Oh, he's so kind and welcoming and he's a little bit awkward. But you see that he he peeps on people. He he's He's creepy. He's creepy in it's, this scene. And it's it's, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And this is the point where you think maybe he isn't such a good person. Maybe he isn't as nice as he seems. So Marion gets into the shower. She's showering. Everything is all fine and good. And all of a sudden, you see a figure walking towards the curtain. It pulls back the curtain. A knife is in its hand, outstretched towards Marion, and just stabs her and stabs her and stabs her. And at this point, Marion is screaming. She's trying to get away, but she can't get away. And her body slumps down towards the floor, and she tries to get away and the curtain is ripped off of its um off of the little curtain rods and blood is draining down the drain um and one thing that i noticed during this scene is that the silhouette of the person who murdered marion is very feminine uh the woman has her hair up in a bun and is wearing like a nice blouse or a dress, which is why my first thought was mother murdered her. It was mother. You know, because when he was when she was screaming at her son Norman, she said, Oh, I won't have her, you know, corrupt my son because you're disgusting, she told Norman. And, you know, you just you want her because you're a man and you're gross and stuff. So that weird type of jealousy that weird type of anger it it kind of came to a point where she was she snapped and she murdered marion which is what i had originally thought um 
So Norman walks in. He's like, oh, what was that? So he walks into the room and he sees, he goes in and he's like, Marion, Marion, and goes into the, um, the bathroom and sees Marion and he pales and he is visibly shaken. Um, and he doesn't know what to do. So he's like, mother, how could you do this? You know, why would you do this? Um, and he ends up cleaning up the body, puts it in the car, uh, and then he finds a newspaper in the, not the dresser, the, the, the the dresser drawers. No, it's the table. Bedside table or whatever you call it. The bedside table. Um, so he finds a newspaper, and unbeknownst to him, that newspaper is where Marion had hid her $40,000. He is unaware of that. So he tosses it in the car. He grabs all of Marion's stuff, and he throws it in the car, and he wraps her body up in a plastic wrap, and he throws that in the car, and then he drives the car into the swamp, and it sinks. So not only is Marion dead... But no one will ever find that $40,000 because it has been buried with her. Okay. After this scene, we head back to uh, California. They're in California. Um, and we meet Lila Crane. And Lila Crane is the sister to Marion Crane. And she goes to Sam and she's like, hey, where's my sister? I miss her. I don't know where she is. I'm worried. Where is she? Do you have her? And he's like, no, I don't. I haven't seen her in days. Do you know where she's at? And then this man comes in. And this man is named Arbogast. And he is a private detective. And he's investigating Marion and the theft of the $40,000. And he's like, you know, uh, you know, I need to make sure that you didn't do anything. She's probably here because of where there's a boyfriend. You know, there's the the culprit or whatever. Because they tend to stick to people who they trust. They tend to stick with people who they trust. I don't know if I said that right. But, but um, this is not the case. So all three of them basically end up sort of teaming up to find Marion all for their own different reasons. And they're like, hey, uh, Arbogast is like, hey, I'm a private investigator. I'm not with the police. Um, They hired me to get to the bottom of this and get the $40,000 back. If the $40,000 are retrieved, she won't have to go to jail. Yes, so Arbogast goes around town and he interviews people and he's like, do you know anything? Do you know anything? And then at the end of his little investigation, he finds Bates Motel and he talks to Norman and he's like, have you seen this woman? I think she used an alias or a fake name to get in here and uh, she's been gone since Friday. Do you mind if I look at your little, your sign in sheet, your booklet? And he's like, no, no, that's fine. But as the the interview goes on, as the questions are asked, he starts to get nervous. And uh, I noticed that he starts to stutter 
when he speaks, which is already a tell that something horrible has happened, that he is a culprit, that he is he or someone he knows has done something to Marion. So he leaves and he's very he Arbogast doesn't give any indication, indication that he knows that something is up. He just leaves and he makes a phone call and he calls up Lila and he's like, hey, I didn't find anything. Uh, the guy I interviewed said that she left. She left the next morning uh, and I didn't find anything. So I'm going to interview the mother because I think maybe she talked to her and maybe she knows something. So he heads up to the house, which is just about the biggest mistake you could make. Um, he doesn't know that, but it's just, you really shouldn't. You really shouldn't go up to that house. Um, Horror movie 101 is don't go into weird people's houses. Exactly. Especially people who have something to hide. It's never going to go well. So he heads up to the house and there's like a little walkway and then there's stairs leading up to a door and he sees the door and he's like, all right, the mother's probably in there. I'm going to walk up. He walks up the stairs so so slowly and you think oh oh it's gonna creak something's gonna happen it doesn't instead the door to the room creaks open slowly and out of nowhere a woman runs at him and she runs and she stabs him multiple times and he falls down the stairs and then she plunges it into his chest and he dies now, so a thing to note is that norman had said that his mother was old and frail and ill of course now a woman who was old and frail and ill would not be able to run at someone at such a speed would not be able to run at all maybe Especially not wielding a knife. Um, which, of course, it doesn't hinder your movement of your legs. But, you know, if she can't even walk, how'd she get the knife? Is what I'm trying to say. Um, so, he's dead. So, oh, then Marion... One more thing that I would like to add. This scene genuinely scared me. I was completely fine until this scene because um, I am easily frightened by loud noises and out of nowhere jump scares, <laughs> unfortunately. I think they're really fun, but, but it it scared me. It came out of nowhere, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what? <laughs> uh, so I found it. It's funny uh, that I was frightened. But this was a really good scene, and um, I think the spike in music was really what kind of frightened me the most. They had a lot of string instruments. Yes, and for this it was movie. just so good. It was so good. Um, um, afterwards, it turns the it turns to Mary, it turns to Sam and Lila, who are like, well, Arbogast would have called. He would have called if. Uh, he had found something, and he would have called had anything been up. You know, he would have called regardless of what he found. So 
let's go to the Bates Motel and find Arbogast. But before they do this, they think, well, if we can't find him, we should go to someone else. We should go to someone. And this is where the sheriff comes in. So they head to the sheriff's house. And they talk to him and they're like, yeah, but Bates Motel, you know, that, that motel down the road and uh, the sheriff's the sheriff's wife is like, oh, that must be Bates Motel, right? And so they're talking and they're talking and sheriff, the sheriff is like, you know, Norman lives like a hermit up there. And uh, Lila chimes in and she's like, oh, yes. And Arbogast was going to go talk to Norman's mother. And the sheriff's like, that's not his mother. And they're like, what? And he's like, Mrs. Bates has been dead for 10 years. And Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Sheriff's wife, <laughs> Mrs. Chambers, chimes in and she's like, oh, I helped pick out the dress his mother was buried in, periwinkle blue. So not only is she dead, for, has she been dead for 10 years? These people aren't, they aren't lying. They aren't covering it up. They know that she is dead. And so all of these, all of these clues are like, really tell you if she's dead, then who is the woman who killed Marion and Arbogast? And this is where things start to get creepy. Uh, so, they're like, okay, so, she's dead. And the way she died is absolutely, absolutely horrible. Um, but I, I won't touch on that right now. Um, so, this is the point where I was like, okay, is she dead? Is she dead? Who is the woman? There needs to be someone. It's either... And this is where I started thinking, and I was like, is there another woman there? Or is, is it Norman pretending to be his mother? Uh, and I wasn't sure what it would be. Um, so I, I just kind of wrote that down real quick and then continued with the movie. So no, Sam... And Lila go to Bates Motel and they check in under a false name. They pretend to be a married couple. And he's like, okay, I'll take you to room 12. And room 12 is farthest away from room 1. But Lila knows that she was in room 1. So Lila opens and closes the door and it's unlocked so she doesn't go in because norman and sam are coming so she just pretends like she was doing nothing and then uh sam and lila check into the room and they're like we have to search all 12 of these rooms we have to figure out which one it is and where she was murdered because it has to be here. So they search all of the rooms. And when they get to room one, when they get to the bathroom of room one specifically, 
she's like, oh, look, it's it's figuring. And she finds a little shred of paper that and she's like, oh, this is this is some amount of number added or subtracted from 40,000. So she was here in this room or it's either that or Norman knows about the money. Now, with Norman, they don't suspect murder. They, they suspect, suspect that he has stolen the $40,000 for himself, maybe to buy a new motel or get a new life away from his mother. So Sam is like, I need you, Lila, to talk to the mother. I will. I will stall Norman. Uh, so Lila heads up to the house, which, again, very bad idea. Um, and Sam, you know, just kind of talks to Norman, and he's like, oh, yeah, they're talking. It's, it's very, it's just a nice conversation, and they're talking, and he's like, oh, have I been talking this whole time? Um, because, you know, I would have thought that you would have been the one to, to talk a lot, because you're in isolation, and don't they talk a lot? You know, and he's just like quiet. He's like, I don't know, you know. Um, and then he, Sam, is like, you know, maybe you stole something, forty thousand dollars, perhaps. And it's he he confronts him. But I thought that was kind of crazy because yes, they're looking for the forty thousand dollars, but. You don't know this man. You don't know what happened to Marion. This could turn out very bad for you. Uh, and then the camera pans away after Norman starts screaming. And he's like, where is that girl you came with? Where did she go? And then she he yells for his mother. And then he runs. And meanwhile... Um, meanwhile, Lila is looking throughout the house for the mother... And then she hears the door opening and it's Norman trying to get in. So she's like, what do I do? What do I do? And she goes down to the fruit cellar. And she's like, this is a great place for me to hide a fruit cellar with only one way out. Spoiler alert. It is a very, very bad idea. So she goes into the fruit cellar. And she finds a woman sitting in a chair. And I should note that before this, Norman had hid his mother in the fruit cellar. And she was like, no, don't put me in the fruit cellar. You think I'm fruity, don't you? Don't put me in the fruit cellar. I'm not fruit, you know? <laughs> and so she's in the fruit cellar. And Marion's like, oh, Mrs. Bates. She reaches out a hand to touch her shoulder. Mrs. Bates is dead. Has been for a while, actually. She's nothing but bones. And dried up skin and stuff. Um, and she screams. Which is a very... Marion screams. It's a very bad idea. Marion screaming. Like, literally, Norman can hear you. What are you doing? What are you doing? And he runs out. And he has been dressing as Norma. And he goes... Knife in hand, he goes, I'm Norma Bates. And he s tries, he lunges. But Sam, luckily, Sam, which, not my favorite character, by the way. But Sam saves her. 
Sam holds him back and he squirms and he tries to get out of his reach. And, and his normal wig falls off, revealing just, you know, Norman. And truthfully, though this is a horror movie, it is so sad to see. Um, after this, they're at the police station and they're talking to the police and they're like, hey... This is what happened. And they say that Norman is very disturbed and a psychiatrist comes in and tells them what's been going on. What his assessment of Bates is. Keep in mind, um, he doesn't know Norman. So this is very quick and it's just, you know what he can gather from the situation. It's a brief assessment based on probably a short amount of time. More accurate diagnosing would need to be done. Yes. Uh, continue. So he tells, he tells them, he tells the police and he tells, the psychiatrist tells Sam and Lila, well, he dresses up as Norma and they're like a transvestite and he's like no he dresses up as Norma because he believes he is Norma and the way that they describe it is by saying there are two sides to his brain Norma and Norman and after the death of his mother which was which caused by, was caused by Norman, Norman himself. himself. In a fit of jealous rage, he killed both his mother and his mother's lover. And before, it's revealed that he had killed another girl besides Marion. So he has killed a total of five people, including Arbogast, Marion, unnamed girl, the his mother's lover, and his mother. Um, but they say that he was so, so distraught that he needed his mother. That he wanted his mother to pretend that his mother was still there. That two sides of his brain were there. So he would speak and talk and act like his mother. And then there would be Norman, who was his regular self. But the way that they say it is that he was never fully Norman to begin with. His mother was so controlling and so manipulative manipulative yeah that's what i was trying to say um that he was never allowed to be a normal boy he was never allowed to be himself and that coupled with whatever mental illness he had and his horrible relationship with his mother caused him to spiral yes and I found it sad because they said he will never be Norman again. And then they go to Norman's little room that he's in. He has a blanket draped over his shoulders, given to him by one of the policemen. And in his head, he speaks in Norma's voice. And he says, oh, maybe I should have put him in an institution a long time ago. He was always a bad child. Maybe this should have been done so long ago. He'll be going to jail now. And him, as his mother, says, Oh, you know, I won't even swat this fly. Because then they'll see. And then they'll know. She wouldn't even hurt a fly. 
which confused me for the moment because I'm over here and I'm like, can is this a conscious decision to pretend to be Norma? Will he uh, is he capable of being Norma again, or is this just some kind of ruse to make him seem docile and non-dangerous? You know. So then, Norman as Norman. I don't know if it's Norma as Norman or Norman himself. Tilts his head and stares at the camera and it's this creepy little fourth wall break almost and it it it's so terrifying it chills you to the bone it's unsettling i was un- unnerved and i was like oh my gosh this was a fantastic movie it was a fantastic movie i will say it was more sad than scary to me, though there were times where I was frightened. But I will say, Anthony Perkins is amazing, amazing in amazing. his role. Incredible. The best thing I have ever seen in a film so far. It was, oh, it was wonderful. And now I, it's time for everyone's favorite segment. Yes. Twin Talk. Twin talk. Where we'll be discussing, we in the segment will be discussing ways that this movie didn't hold up in modern society and things that were problematic, things that could be fixed and should be improved upon in media. Um, but before we do that, what was your favorite part? Of the film my favorite part of the film would have to be the scene where oh there were so many good good scenes um but i loved i loved the reveal of mrs bates it built up the tension and you were like Oh my gosh, this is so, so different to anything I've ever seen before. The reveal, and well, I guess my real favorite part in the entire movie is the music more than anything. The soundtrack, the score was incredible. It amazes me. How they didn't use, you know, they didn't have any CGI to use. They didn't have a whole bunch of stuff to work with. But what they did have was music. And so the music really builds up the tension and it makes, it really influences how you watch the movie. So in a lot of these scenes where they use music, they increase the tempo or they do a crescendo and it's just it's incredible my favorite part of the movie would have to be when marion meets norman because he's so kind and welcoming and he's just awkward and he seems so nice so he's an entirely like you wouldn't even think that he would do something so awful and in a way apparently he didn't. It wasn't him, according to the psychiatrist. Um, 
But I just, I really like that scene because Anthony Perkins is great and I haven't seen him in anything else. But I like that part because you kind of see, you have a first impression of who Norman is and then it totally is just swept aside by what happens in the movie. But for the most part, you sympathize with this character and you feel for this character and you feel bad and you're like, this person is so good, but that's not the case. It does not excuse his behavior. He isn't necessarily a good person, but you still feel bad throughout the movie for him. And And I just think that's That brings us to our heavier subject of today. So for this episode, we will be covering two topics for Twin Talk and then maybe a fun little surprise or a little fun little segment at the end. So you're not all, oh, that was so depressing. That was such a bummer. Um, Oh, I don't want to watch the movie. I'm so sad, you know? Right. Um, so, let's continue. Okay, so, Twin Talk. Today we'll be talking about mental illness and creepiness. That is to say, creepiness towards women by men. In film, of course. Um, so, the first thing I'd like to touch up on is Norman and Mr. Cassidy. Now, they... I wouldn't say they seem nice because Mr. Cassidy is disturbing from the start. He's flirting with a woman and he's so old and he's flirting with this young woman and it's just really gross. But he threatens her. Unbeknownst to her, she's driving to California, but he threatens either violence or something absolutely disgusting. And the whole time, you know, he he was flirting, he was making advances and... I think that's really gross. Um, And Norman. Norman's creepiness, the whole, I put her in in cabin one because I want to look at her because I'm lonely and sad and disgusting. That was very unsettling. I didn't think he would do it, but he did it. And it was was gross, and I did not like it. Uh, Now, mental illness, they are only... So the whole movie is about mental illness. But it's only hinted at. You're not given uh, a diagnosis or really even a good description on what it is. What Norman has or what his mother had in the first place. Uh, In addition to this, there's a scene where they're talking about Norman and... uh, what he's been through, how he, his illness is. And they, they ask if he's, if Norman is a transvestite. Now, transvestite is an outdated term. It's a term that really isn't used anymore, but it, at the time, it was the most accurate description. Or not the most accurate, but it was what they had. So their knowledge of uh, transgender people or um, it, it was it was different. So they didn't really know 
much about who transgender people were. Um, usually transvestite is an outdated term for like a cross-dresser, someone who wears, you know, male or female clothing because they want to and it doesn't really matter. Uh, but in this case, they used it to refer to a transgender person, which it's not accurate, but it's what they had at the time. Um, trans, the knowledge of who trans people were was very new in this, in this era. Um, and now we have more information, so that's good. Um, I, I think that's almost all for today, but before we finish off this episode, let's end on a lighter note. A lighter note. Um, okay, so a lighter note that is really cool. Uh, so I really liked the movie. I thought it was great. Um, and I was very excited to see it, and it exceeded my expectations. It was so phenomenal, phenomenally fantastic, and I will definitely watch it again. I mean, it's a it's a cult classic for a reason. Uh, so I think that's almost about all for today. Bye, bye.